Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. The 1938 college football season was among recent history's most exciting and unpredictable seasons. There were no clear-cut favorites, and the favorite at the beginning of the year wasn't the one at the end heading into the season. So several teams emerged as contenders throughout the year, and we're going to go through them and who won the Heisman and some of those bowl games coming up in just a moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pig Pen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome once again to another Football History Rewind, part number 82, as we go through the college season of 1938. Now, Though the rules stayed the same, and there were some rumors that revisions to the passing game uh, were wanted, especially from throwing out of the end zone. The proposal would be that a touchback would be awarded to a team that passed the ball from behind their own goal line on fourth down. It was not very likely this would have the opportunity to, to occur, even if this would have became a rule. But it's interesting how they were thinking back then before World War II in the game of football. And I welcome you to our our show here. Football History Rewind is an event where we go back and talk about every single year and the changes that occurred and the great things that happened in the game of football one year at a time. And uh, actually, we do a couple different episodes on each year because we cover one for the college game, one for the professional game. And this is the college game. And we're going to be talking about some great teams, including this one, uh, the University of Pittsburgh, in a moment. But before we do, let's make sure you're aware we have a book out. This is called The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team. Now, that's a big statement, but it's a big title for a a team that really needs some recognition. They played 120 years ago, and they were probably the most dominant professional mainstream team in football history. Yeah, I'm talking stand-aside 1972 Dolphins, stand-aside 1948 Cleveland Browns. The 1903 Franklin All-Stars were dominant with a capital D. And I, I'd love you for you to get your hands on this book and let me know what you think. There's a great way to order it on Pigskin Dispatch right on the front page. Uh, we have a little insignia that says our book is out. Or you can go on Amazon and search under the world's greatest pro gridiron team or under my name, Darren L. Hayes, D-A-R-I-N-H-A-Y-E-S. We'll sure hope you enjoy it and give us your feedback on what you think about the book. 
Now, the University of Pittsburgh in 1938, they were the early favorites because, after all, they won the national championship the previous season. So they were the incumbent. And the Pitt Panthers were led by a solid running game and a stingy defense and head coach Jock Sutherland. So a lot of things were the same and a reason to believe maybe they could repeat. But, you know, they soon... uh, showed that they, they weren't the strongest team in the world because they suffered a mid-season loss to crosstown rival Carnegie Tech. And they really weren't crosstown because Carnegie Tech, interesting enough, played their home games at Pitt Stadium, same place that Pitt did. So I'm not sure who it was a home game for when they played there in, in week four. But Carnegie Tech uh, ended up beating uh, Pitt in a close game there in Pittsburgh. And... Uh, you know, that sort of ruining and spoiling the attraction for Pitt to, to go on to win another national championship. Well, then the end of the year, when they tried to, you know, they went through a nice season, they ended up having another setback to number three Duke to complete a season at eight and two for head coach Jock Sutherland. Now, several other teams emerged as contenders as the season progressed, including Notre Dame, Michigan, Tennessee, Northwestern, that same Carnegie Tech team, Duke, and TCU. And we're going to talk about all of them and even throw in a couple other ones as well. First off, let's go back to Carnegie Tech in 1938. The Tartans, as they were called, were led by second-year head coach Bill Kern, who put together a pretty formidable roster of talent. They played as a team. They were one unit, and they were very disciplined. The midseason 0-7 loss at Notre Dame in South Bend, though, hampered their rankings later in the year. But still, that's pretty respectable for small Carnegie Tech to go all the way to South Bend and only lose by a touchdown and you know, almost shut out Notre Dame. Now, still, this signature victory over the Pitt Panthers and subsequent wins over Holy Cross and Duquesne propelled them into the Sugar Bowl matchup with Texas Christian University. Another team we're going to talk about. We'll get to the results of that game here in a second. Because Texas Christian University, or TCU, in 1938, the Horned Frogs were another strong program for the 38th season, led by Heisman Trophy recipient quarterback Davey O'Brien. The young signal caller took over the reins of the TCU offense a couple years earlier after observing for a year former Frog quarterback Sammy Baugh, who was lost to graduation in, at the end of 36. And O'Brien was an exciting player as he was a dual threat to throw or run with the ball. Davey accumulated 1,457 yards passing on the 1938 season and 19 touchdown tosses, which is tremendous when you think about the year that they're playing for. This is 90, almost 90 years ago they're playing. The, the passing game wasn't as prevalent as it is today. 19 touchdown tosses. Uh, the native of Dallas also took home of the prestigious Maxwell Award. And Brian O'Brien was the fourth overall pick in the first round of the 1939 NFL Draft, which was held in December of 1938. The Philadelphia Eagles drafted him, and owner Burt Belt offered him a $12,000 bonus in a two-year contract. O'Brien signed with the team in March, becoming the first Heisman Trophy winner to play in the NFL. If you remember all the failures uh, from before, especially the Eagles uh, drafting a couple of those. They drafted the very first uh, draft pick in 1936 NFL draft, and he decided not to even play in the NFL, go into business instead. So truly, that was an accomplishment too, getting O'Brien 
the Heisman Trophy winner to play in the NFL. Now the Horned Frogs registered a perfect record in 1938 under fifth-year head coach Dutch Meyer. Critical wins for the TCU that season were knocking off Texas A&M by the score of 34-6 in Week 4, and winning a season finale showdown with Southern Methodists to propel them into that Sugar Bowl game on New Year's Day against number 6 Carnegie Tech. Now the Sugar Bowl was very contested, and the Horned Frogs end up prevailing in that game 15-7, so knocking Carnegie Tech from the rank of uh, you know the unbeatens in the contention for a national championship. But the Horned Frogs, well, they're still very much in contention, and we'll get back to them in a, a minute here. But we had some great teams out of the Big Ten, as usual. In Fritz Chrysler's first season as the Michigan program's head coach, the Wolverines sported a 6-1-1 record. Their only setbacks were a 6-7 loss at Minnesota in Week 3 and a late-season scoreless tie versus Northwestern. Nothing to be ashamed of there. Minnesota, well, they had that big letdown game after knocking off Michigan. The victory over the Wolverines must have drained the Gophers because the next week they fell to Northwestern by the score of 3-6 and a few weeks later got blanked by Notre Dame to finish with a 6-2 mark at season's end. Not good enough to be the national champions. Uh, Speaking of Northwestern, they suffered a loss of their own after the emotional win over Minnesota, falling to Wisconsin and Notre Dame in the last three games of the season, tying Michigan in between. So going uh, 0-2-1 in the last three games after being 4-0-1, well, that again doesn't quite meet the standard in 1938 to be in contention for the title. But there were other teams in contention. How about 1938 Tennessee Volunteers? Well, the Vols of the University of Tennessee also finished with a perfect 11-0 record on the season. Head coach Robert Neyland fielded a Vol squad that registered some thrilling victories on the season, which included shutout wins over their last four opponents, including rivals Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and Ole Miss, and an undefeated number 4-ranked Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl. The Vols also blanked a strong Alabama team earlier in the season, and a tight end up making in the top 10 best teams in the country by season's end, even with losing in week one. Tennessee featured three All-American players, Bob Suffrage at guard, Bowen, Bowden Wyatt at end, and George Cafago at tailback. We talked about the Fighting Irish earlier of Notre Dame. And the Dickinson season awarded the Fighting Irish the Newt Rockney Award for being the number one team in the AP poll at the end of the regular season. Under head coach Elmer Layden, Notre Dame had an unblemished record for their first eight outings, defeating two ranked teams in Carnegie Tech, Minnesota, and Northwestern. And the weakness of the Dickinson system in the AP poll in defining the best teams was exposed here uh, because they were elected at the end of the regular season, at the end of November. Well, they fell 13 to nothing after that AP poll was posted and they were awarded the Newt Rockney Award to USC. Southern Cal beat them 13 to nothing, uh, blanking them. So when you look back retroactively, you cannot say that Notre Dame was the best team in the country. Well, so what about Southern Cal? They beat Notre Dame, who was undefeated prior. Well, they end up going to the Rose Bowl, the University of Southern Cal, and Duke, who we talked about earlier, under Coach Howard Jones at USC. The Trojans came out of the Pacific Coast Conference with an 8-2 mark, while the Blue Devils, guided by the wisdom of head coach Wade Wallace, were riding high on that 9-0 ledger. Not one point had been allowed 
by this vaunted Duke defense known as the Iron Dukes, led by co-captains Dan Hill and Eric Tipton during the scheduled season. The contest in the Rose Bowl was scoreless after three quarters. Defense definitely showing its way for both teams. The Blue Devils took the lead with a 23-yard field goal there in the fourth quarter, and Duke had not uh, been scored on all season, but with a remaining minute, Southern Cal quarterback Doyle Knave entered into the game off the bench and completed four straight passes to Al the Antelope Kruger. Love that name. On a final pass to Kruger, it put uh, Blue Devil Eric Tipton was put a move on and Kruger ended up scoring the winning touchdown with one minute remaining. Kruger's touchdown marked the first point scored against Duke during the season. And ironically, it cost them the game. USC triumphed in this one 7-3. And it sort of knocks Duke from that top spot in the nation. They're right from the ranks, uh, ranks of the unbeaten and unscored upon. And what a shame to go there in the last minute of the season. So we've got sort of a a mishmash of teams, a lot of good teams, a lot of great teams, some undefeated teams in there. So how did the polls look at this? Well, the AP poll ended up uh, reneging at the end of the season after they had Notre Dame at the end of the regular season, and they gave that to TCU. The National Championship Foundation and the Helms Foundation also said the Horned Frogs were the top team. The CFB researchers uh, retroactively named Tennessee as the champions, and we already told you that the Dickinson uh, poll chose Notre Dame based on a regular season record. Well, our friends over at the Tip Top 25 website, which is a great website, they point to Tennessee being a stronger candidate for the national championship, as the Vols outscored their opponents by 293 to 16 uh, by their research, and the Tennessee opposition had a winning record at season's end. Well, TCU's cumulative opponents were slightly under 500 for the year. So strength of schedule, it definitely in volunteers way. And, at, you know, 293-16 is nothing to sneeze at. That's quite a, a great offset in points uh, for the Vols. So Tip Top 25 believes Tennessee should be the national champions. I think I agree with them. They do a great job over there looking at everything and putting it into modern terms and modern Things that I think uh, Tennessee deserves that national championship. So the 1938 college season was a memorable one and considered one of the greatest seasons in college football history. And we are glad that you were able to enjoy it with us here on the Football History Rewind, part number 82. Next time we come back to the Football History Rewind, we will go into the professional game. Look at the NFL and any rival leagues from 1938. Some of the greatest players playing the game at that time and who won that vaunted NFL championship. We'll come back to that in a week or two. So, But we're sure glad that you were able here to join us today for Football History. And we're going to have more Football History podcasts in between. Just because Football History Rewind isn't coming on for a week or two doesn't mean we're not going to bring you the history of the game the way we always do. So make sure you join us. Uh, follow us on our newsletter that you can join at the show notes of this very podcast or at the top of Pigskin Dispatch. And don't forget about our book, The World's Greatest Pro Gridiron Team, available on Amazon under Darren Hayes. Till next time, everybody, have a great gridiron day. We're taking a peek over at the chains and the down marker. It's fourth and long. We're going to have to punt the ball and get on out of here, but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines, so be sure to tune in. 
we invite you to check out our website, pigskindispatch.com, not only to see the daily football history, but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game, as well as our own football comic strip, Cleet Marks Comics. Pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history. Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. Pigskindispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast as well as Jersey Dispatch on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network.